as a coach, you would you would say it is kind of how you just said, like leaving like that legacy, that that footprint, that that impact on someone's life. I joke with my my wife all the time, and I'm just like, man, in you know five or ten years, I'm gonna have a whole lot of weddings to go to. And 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 to me, that's that's I guess that would be my legacy. Sports science, strength and conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Vaud Performance, the makers of the Nordboard. If you haven't checked out their website yet, I highly suggest you head over there, whether it's return to play, injury prevention, or just plain performance testing. Vaud Performance has the tools that you need. Check them out at vaudperformance.com. Today on the show, I'm speaking with Vernon Griffith, the co-founder and head strength and conditioning coach for Virginia High Performance. Today, we discuss everything from building confidence in female athletes to the challenges of running a private business and still balancing work-life balance. We discuss elements of why he got into his coaching career and who was influential in his mentorship as he developed his own coaching philosophy. We discuss the challenges of being a great husband and parent, as well as balancing the demands of a highly successful coaching career and business. This is a wide-ranging conversation. You definitely don't want to miss the experiences and wisdom that Coach Griffith shared. Uh, and I want again want to thank him for coming on. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Coach Vernon Griffith. Vernon, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Adam? Hey, doing really well, man. I uh, I appreciate you taking some time out of your. Uh, early busy morning that you have to uh to sit down and and talk some shop with us i am just excited to have you on how are uh how how's things out in virginia oh man we're we're busy but you know that that's a good thing so uh staying busy with our programs that we got going on uh life is busy family's busy but i'd, I'd rather if, if i wasn't busy i don't know what i'd be doing that's like, you know, that's the response I get with a lot of coaches is that they just come in and I think we're all in this is where we're, we're just so deep into what we're doing that it's like, it's nice to come up for air, but if we don't have that chaotic sort of busyness in our life, it, it can be, uh, you don't know what to do with all the free time that you have. Yeah. I mean, I'll be sitting there on the weekend sometime and not doing something and I'll just, I think there has to be something I should be doing. I'm forgetting something. I'm forgetting something all the time. <laughs> You know, I, I wanted to have you on because of a couple of different reasons, but I think it's important to kind of maybe start at square one and have you give a little bit of an updated bio of, of what you're currently doing, your current role at Virginia High Performance, and maybe how you found yourself into this coaching profession that we all share. I'm not the coach that really likes to boast about himself. Uh, I feel like the more people boast about themselves is because they don't have the concept that other people boast about them. So I'm not going to dive too much into you know what I've done and who I've worked with but I'm one of the co-founders and head strength and conditioning coaches at uh, Virginia High Performance. I probably uh, have a pretty cool story about how that got started. Um, when people say you know opportunity is when luck is when opportunity meets preparation or something like that whatever that saying is. Um, I was just in college for um, at Old Dominion University and uh, one of the other guys founders uh, Jeff comes, walks in with a USA wrestling jacket, and I kind of just pulled him to the side. Um, big thing I say with young coaches, never be afraid to network and never be afraid to talk to someone because literally that one conversation changed my life. I kind of pulled him to the side, and I was like, hey, man, you know, you don't just buy that jacket from Dick's Sporting Goods or Foot Locker. You know, what do you do? And he kind of we kind of got talking, and from that day I was like, hey, you want to work out tomorrow? And he was like, yep. Uh, worked out with him probably every day for a year and a half, and then – uh, with another one of the other founders, Alex, we just started talking about how youth athletics and Hampton Roads is such such a hot spot for sports and performance. Uh, we just, but the kids don't really have a high performance training place. They have a bunch of places that say they are, but you know they're just after the money. Not that we aren't either, but they don't really have the child's best interest in hand. So we kind of got started with the idea and it's kind of grown since then. But I mean that's from staying up at their house, at Jeff's house, at the, around the dining room table for hours on end. That's kind of how Virginia High Performance started and kind of how where I'm at now. We've been open for about 
two years and a couple months and, and we're doing we're doing really good to maybe provide a little clarity when you say jeff right so you're talking about the other co-founder jeff nichols yeah um just so that audience members can uh can follow along here now i i find this because i, I just don't know it's weird like you can have some of these similar conversations with people and then somebody drops a line like usa wrestling and for me I grew up in Michigan and, you know, my whole youth life was surrounded by USA wrestling and Team Michigan and, and freestyle wrestling folk style. And that's what ultimately led me on my own sort of career path going to Michigan State to wrestle and then um, find out very quickly that I was, you know, a, a very small fish in what is otherwise Big Ten wrestling, huge, um, uh, highly competitive conference for it. And then I found myself on the flip side of being a, uh, a graduate assistant in charge of strength conditioning for wrestling. But uh, so did you have a common like shared love or passion with USA Wrestling or did that just lead into the conversation between you and Jeff, a kind of a, a touch point that you then sort of uh, explored and scratched? Uh, I mean, not really. He, he uh, had a friend that... Um is involved with wrestling at Iowa, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if he helped with USA. Somehow he was involved with it, so he gave him a jacket. And I mean, I've never been a big wrestling fan. I didn't grow. I didn't go to a school that really emphasized wrestling. But I mean, a lot of people joke with me about being a social butterfly and this and that. I mean, I'm just. I like to talk to people. I like to. You, you never know who you're going to meet. I'll be at the bank or at the grocery store, and I'm talking to the person behind me. Not that I'm out to get something. But you're always, I mean, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know what story you can take from someone. So I just just went up to him and was just like, hey, man, you know, what, what's your story? What's going on? And we just hit it off, hit it off well. And, you know, that's all history. To put it maybe a, a, a place in time, when, uh, when was this? What, like, was it during undergrad, around those, your pivotal college years? Was it post-college where you had this sort of interaction the serendipitous sort of moment where you're like, oh, hey, and by the way, we started working out. And then, hey, we, we co-founded this joint venture together. What, uh, what, where were you in your sort of lifespan? And, uh, and explain a little bit about maybe the, uh, your thoughts of, of how that led to where you're at now. It, it, it kind of was a little interesting. I mean, when I was young, I uh, joined the military I got out of the military because I was tired of being gone so much. Uh, went back to college. Uh, I met when I actually met him. I was a senior, and um, I mean the strength conditioning uh, field. I mean, to be honest, it's it's very competitive. It's 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 hard. It's the job security isn't that best, and it's a grind. Like people, a lot of young kids, they just think it's all glamorous. It's all these big followers on Twitter and Instagram and. You know, I'm going to be famous and I'm going to be rich. And I'm like, no, it's not that. And uh, so I, I, I kind of, it was just kind of luck of, I mean, it was just that opportunity. And then when it met in that time, it's like, I, I like you said, serendipity. It was just, it, it's crazy to think that that one point in time, if you ever think that like when I had that one fork or I made that one decision that changed my life, it literally changed my life. A lot of the people I was going to school with, you know, they're working at nothing's wrong with it. They're working at banks or insurance places or, you know, it's hard to find a job. And we just happened to hit it off. And, you know, things grew and, you know, we're doing we're doing really good right now. And we're going to explore that a little bit later in the show, because I think there's some unique sort of uh, experiences that you have as a co-founder and and as a business owner. And that's, you know, from a strength conditioning coach, I know that at the CSCCA, one of the uh, the roundtable discussions was just discussing how many people have the opportunity to retire as a collegiate strength conditioning coach. And it's so very little. I mean, a lot of coaches get into, you know, at least sort of uh, uh, this public sector collegiate um, coaching with absolutely no backup plan of what to do if that job doesn't exist for them. So... A lot of the times they're forced into trying to make these decisions out of necessity and not necessarily out of, you know, a, a want or a drive or a passion. So 
um, I think you have a unique experience to discuss a little bit of that other side of it. You know, like the life of a business owner, the life of a co-founder, the life of a guy that has to manage a staff and manage what is otherwise, you know, a, a, a clientele that doesn't necessarily continue to turn over every four years, like you see yeah. in the collegiate, collegiate sector. Yep. Um, but uh, let's let's dive into this because I know you talked about, you know, you, you had this, this luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? And that you just happen to be in this moment where it all sort of fit together. But I want to kind of dive in deeper, be, you know, the coach behind the coach or the person behind the whistle. And I want to get an understanding, like, what is it about coaching that, that, that pushed you into it? Like, what is, what, what do you get out of coaching? What do you get out of working with athletes that maybe an athlete doesn't even understand or doesn't realize? Uh, I mean, the, the reason, I, I guess you would say my driver or my why is because I never had that. Um, my, my father wasn't around much when I, when I was younger. I didn't have that positive role model. I don't have, I was having this conversation with another coach when they were like, what was that one coach that changed your life? And I don't, I don't have that. I didn't, I didn't have this amazing coach that when I was reaching my hand up for help to pull me up and say, I got you, son, or to provide me some sort of positive feedback or to be that guiding light. I didn't have that. I didn't grow up in a household that, you know, college was a priority. It was, it was just kind of like a, you know, a thought that maybe one day, but probably not. No one had those aspirations. Um, I didn't have this, you know, this positive person to, you know, let me know that my world is much bigger outside of my little city or my high school, that the world is huge and opportunities are endless. So that's my why is to, you know, empower kids with the confidence that I'm not trying to be all whatever it is and you can do anything with your life kind of style but you know we were so obsessed and as you're younger all you think is what's in your fishbowl what's in your 10 closest group of friend network you know what you see you know on a day-to-day basis and then when you experience life outside of that you're like holy shit like this is this is crazy you know all these all these endless opportunities and that that's kind of that's kind of why I I'm doing what I did why I got out of the military is to get back and you know, impact youth. Uh, I made a decision that I'm not going to be rich. I'm going to work for a long time. I'm going to work long hours, but the impact that I'm going to make on children is, is well worth it. Uh, I had a talk with one of my people I was training this morning and we were talking about coaches chasing awards and stuff, which is fine if that's your thing. But my, my awards are college scholarships when my kids go to college and they send me a t-shirt with their school on it, that's my award. That's, that's my goal. That's my why to let kids know that, you know, you can do so much in this world. Once you stop holding yourself back, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my why. There's a couple of things I want to dive in on this and, uh, and ever, please stop me if, you know, if I'm digging too far, I just, I think it's, there's a couple of things you said that were resonating. So you're not the first coach I've talked to that got, into coaching that became, uh, I guess, them manifested themselves into this position to be influential for what is otherwise a person in their life that wasn't there. So I find it fascinating and uh, I think important that you, you didn't have this coach, you didn't have someone that is essentially doing all the things that you're doing for them. So is this a is this for you like a way of giving back to like a, a essentially like a younger version of yourself? I'd love for you to explore on that a little bit if if you can provide some uh, some I guess some details on that. I mean, it's uh, one of my favorite things to say is is uh, you know be the person that you needed when you were sixteen. Like that's 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 easily one of my favorite things to say when coaches say you know. What, what do you believe in? What's your philosophy? It, it goes way past coaching. Coaching is whatever. Coaching is X's and O's. That's fine. It's about you know, building the confidence, empowering kids to, to make decisions. It's, when you really think about it, kids aren't allowed to go to the bathroom you know, without raising their hand, but they're forced to make decisions when they're 17, 18 that literally could affect the rest of their life. But we just think of them as miniature adults when they're not. They're, they're children. They're kids. 
And we forget that because we just were so caught up in, uh, you know, well, you got to have a plan. You got to have this, you know, plan to change, like plans change, you know, plan, you know, be flexible. Don't be this amoeba, be this amoeba of, of life and potential. Don't be this just locked up version of a paper with a, a timeline of in five years, I'm going to be this, you know, have that, but then be this amoeba of change. But back to, back to what you said, it's, it all goes back to, I just, I didn't, I didn't have that. And I know what it feels like to be sitting there and I, I would hear stories. And now that, that I'm a part of it, kids, they kids come up to me and they say, Hey coach, you know, you know, what should I do? Or what school should I go to? Or I'm being recruited by this. What do you think? And I remember being that kid being like, man, what should I do? Where should I go? And everyone's just kind of shrugging their shoulders like, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you should stay close to home because of this or, or, you know, my mom saying, well, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, we, there's no really jobs with that. Maybe you should join the military. And I'm just sitting there like, well, you know, okay. I, I didn't, not saying I wasn't, you know, in, in a very confident kid or I very goal oriented, but when I was in school and I joke with my kids all the time and my, my wife or my kids will come in and I'll be preaching to a kid about grades and they'll be like, Fernand, what the hell are you talking about? You never made good grades. You're right. <laughs> Because I, I didn't make it a priority when I was in high school. And when I got college, I realized it was different, so that changed. But I didn't have someone to just step in my face and just be like, Vernon, get your stuff together, man. Like, what, what's going on with you? We're so scared to, you know, I think some coaches, are, especially in the private sector, are so scared to step on a kid's feelings in a, in a polite way because they feel like they're going to lose their client or upset them that they don't hold them to accountable when that's what kids want. Kids want a line. Of course they're going to step across that line, and you got to let them do that because if you always tell a kid to shut up and stay in their place, you're just going to close them down. But you have to give, you, you have to give them that line and hold them accountable, and that was my thing. I really never had a coach. I was pretty good at sports, so I was able to just kind of act how I wanted in the classroom and not do homework because I was, I was pretty good at sports, and I wish I had that person to just sit me down and be like, do you realize what you're doing here? And if I had that, which which it, it's kind of, um, I guess, a two-sided story because if I did have that, I wouldn't be in the position I am now. I don't think. And yeah. since I didn't, and since I didn't have that, I'm put in a position where I get to affect so many people's lives on a daily basis. And that I'm not sure what my path would have been, but I can say that I would not be as near as happy as I am now. Yeah, like no my, doubt. What, I am full. It's it's kind of cheesy to say, you know. I don't don't get me wrong. I want to be rich as hell, just like anyone else. But I'm so fulfilled and happy with being able to help so many kids because whatever you believe in at the end of your life, you know, whatever whatever entity you want to believe in, when when that when my day comes, I I feel like I I put in enough work that you know it's I'm going to be able to get in or whatever it is. When you when uh, I kind of joke around with people, and I'm saying when you die you better want a packed funeral. Like you don't want a funeral when no one shows up. Like impact as many people on a daily basis as you can. And that's kind of, it's, it's, it was my, is my problem as a kid. And I've kind of turned it into like my thing. It's, it's my bow and arrow. I shoot that. It's, it's my thing. You were talking about discipline and, and especially being sort of in the private sector and having that ability of having tough love and saying what is maybe hard to say to an athlete and, uh, uh, in fear of potentially losing them as a client. But it reminded me of like when Mickey Marotti said that athletes crave discipline. Our youth crave discipline because very rarely anywhere are they getting being held completely accountable for their actions. So it's this sort of balance of providing this sort of discipline, but also allowing for them to maybe make mistakes and maybe to, to, to step over the line so that you can then come in and reassure or confront or, you know, be that, that mentor in their life to be able to pat them on the back and steer them in the right direction. You, you spoke about confidence and, uh, and building confidence in athletes. And it seemed like that was something that resonated in what you just said. But before we dive down that, that hole, were you, you know, if you were to think back on your own sort of childhood, do you feel like you were a, a confident kid, a confident person leading up to where you are now? Or has things changed? And if so, how 
how and what? Well, I mean, what were the the steps that led you to to that change, if there was some? Um, I mean, I I didn't go to the best of schools, so I I would kind of say that I what I I maybe portrayed a confident person, but you know I, I wasn't the most confident with myself. I was a smaller kid. I mean, I graduated high school at 150 pounds, soaking wet. I, I wasn't the most, I wasn't athletic. I mean, I wasn't amazing, this genetic freak. Uh, I wasn't not good at talking in front of crowds. Uh, that's why I like social media. I kind of post stuff up there and just kind of send it and back away. I don't, I don't have to stand in front of a big crowd and say stuff, but, uh, I don't have this everlasting confidence, but I think it's just that I've never been comfortable with, with my position. And then, uh, as I've kind of learned, know strength and conditioning and and kind of formulated my own hypotheses and formulated my own way of going about things it's kind of giving me that confidence because when people hear it they're like holy crap you know that's you know i've never looked at it like that and it just gives me it kind of and it's kind of like a flame that every day it just burns a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and uh i, I don't i mean i i guess I don't. I don't even know how to answer that one. I guess. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, and that's and that's perfectly fine. I mean, that's a, that's the thing is, uh, so much of these conversations are about, you know, and, and it's weird because it's somewhat on like a public sort of forum is this investigation into our own whys that uh, that we all share, and you know, like many of these questions that I I ask, you know, previous guests and yourself is are questions that. I sit down on a daily basis and ask myself and like, you know, how I answer it on Monday might be different than Wednesday. And it's this constant evolution of, of finding and honing and crafting what is your own reasons. And I think sometimes they change and I think that's perfectly normal. Um, I, I kind yeah, of think, ahead. I kind of think, uh, with that, I, I guess you would, I guess you would say that when I became a parent, uh, for my daughter, it's almost like I get to I get practice at parenting with all of my younger athletes that are older females because I get to see the situations they go through and then it kind of I bring it home and I, I that that might be a turning point for me. Uh, I started looking at the world a little bit different once you have a kid and uh, how kids are treated and then I realize how other kids are treated compared to how I try to treat my daughter and that that'd probably be my turning point. I'm going to explore this for a little bit because I think this is uh, fascinating because in a similar position of you, I'm a parent of a four-year-old, almost four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. And, uh, you know, I think strength and conditioning, as you talk to other people in the field, it's commonly known as a young man's game, right? The fresh out of college, you know, graduate assistant, I'm, I'm going to earn my chops. I'm going to work as hard as I can, you know, sun up to sun down. But things change a little bit when you start to involve and incorporate a family and you have the family dynamics. And, you know, a number of different podcasts have talked about, you know, that the travesty somewhat of strength conditioning, right? Like you will give every single ounce effort, attention, focus to your student athletes and completely neglect your family at home. And oh, this yeah. is why, why you see, you know, sons and daughters growing up without a father or a mother or... Um, that's never around. And I think the challenge is trying to be both present at home and at work and do your very best work and attention to the the various teams you serve in life, both your family as a team and the, the team of athletes that you work with. So uh, you, you talked about that turning point being when you had a, uh, you started to grow your family. I'd love to kind of see, I mean, like, Put me in your shoes if you could, like that first couple months maybe or that first year when you're juggling the balance of family, life, being a great father, being a great coach and that work-life balance. I mean, do you, do you have any remember, like memories or anything that resonated with you from that sort of stage of your life? Uh, I mean, there's no mystery about it. If you're a coach, you're going to work your ass off. And I mean, we, we are... For the first, I mean, we've been in two years and we're still pulling here at 8 a.m. And, you know, we have clubs that would be here in the fall some to like 1030 at night. And, uh, I mean, I give I give thanks and I'm freaking blessed as hell to have my wife. And I remember one day she just kind of sat me down and she was like, we get it, babe. 
Like you're going to work a lot. We get it. You're really good at what you do. You love what you do. And we don't want that to change. But when the moments that you are home, you got to capitalize on them. You got to be present in your presence. And I've kind of looked at that. And that's, that's been my thing is when I'm at home, you know, putting down my phone, when I'm at home, do I want to, it's, it's almost like, uh, not to jump around, but one of my athletes asked me one time, they were like, Vernon, how are you always on? Like, how do you always have energy? And I was like, because that's what's expected of me. When my kids come in, they expect me to bring energy. As a coach, if you want energy, you got to bring it yourself. It's, you know, the dynamic of the universe. Energy needs energy. So I, and, and I would preach this all day and then I would come home and I'd just be like, whew. You know, be just down, just down, regulate, just take my shoes off, babe. I just want to take a shower. She'd be like, no, you can't do that. You know, your kids know you're this high energy, you know, tacked up person. And when you come home, you have to continue that. And, you know, it, I, it, that's been a big problem for me. I mean, not a big problem, but something that I've worked on tremendously is just being present in their presence. Because as a coach, we're going to have long hours. It's no mystery. You're going to travel. You're going to be gone. So when you are there, making the most of it, making those lasting memories. Last thing I want is my kids growing up and them just having these childhood memories. I've had way too many concussions to remember my my young childhood. (laughs) But I don't want my kids to remember them coming up to me and going, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm being like, oh, wait a second, wait a second. Let me send this tweet out. No, no. It's – I – turn my phone over, put it down, just being present in their presence because it's no mystery. We, we work crazy hours, but, and that's not going to change. I'm not going to walk into a coaching job or VHP is not going to be like, all right, guys, our new sh- shift hours are from eight to three. That's just not going to happen. So it's when you are home, just making the most of it. And that, I mean, that's my, that, that was all my wife. I'm extremely thankful for that. She, she checked me on it. She's one of the, I mean, you need people in your life that are going to check you, whether it's friends, whether it's coworkers, whether it's a significant other. But we 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 have enough yes men. We have enough. Oh, you're doing great, coach. You're, you know, pound emojis on Twitter. Great job. Mm-hmm. We got enough of that. We need people that are going to call people out, not positively, and just be like, hey, what are you doing? Like you're like my wife, babe. You're home. Like be home. Be present. You know, we want your presence. Be present in your presence. And I was like. You know, that, that was kind of my thing. I, for months, I was kind of lost at work and so busy. And then she checked me on that. And every now and then, I'll slip and I'll catch myself or she'll catch me. Or my daughter will even be like, hey, Dad, you've been on your phone for a while. And I'm like, you're right. I need to put it down. And uh, it's and it, being present in the moment. It reminds me, I, I say this all the time to my staff, and that is be where your feet are. That's and that awesome. if, you're, if your feet's at work, like let your mind be at work and be fully committed to what you're doing there. But boy, when you, when you walk through that door at home, be where your feet are. And that's with your family, with your daughter, with your sons, with your wife, with your husband, whoever it might be, whatever sort of um, with that uh, place in your life that you're at. So I think that's, and that's hard, right? Like that's, that's the challenge. I mean, I think we get caught in this sort of loop where passion fuels what we do, right? We wouldn't be doing what is otherwise, uh, you know, a, a, a low-paying job, a mediocre-paying jobs? If we weren't just fueled by passion, like we're we're here to change people's lives, of course that fuels us. But at the same time, you know, like it's very easy to see, you know, like okay, well, read this article on Twitter, read this post here. If you're not doing X, Y, or Z, you're you're behind the step. That it becomes this ver- sort of pervasive, vicious cycle of you need to do more, more, and more. And ultimately, you're going to burn the candle up from both ends and you're going to lose the loved ones of your life uh, or neglect them, certainly, if you're not uh, if you're not willing to to put up a barrier. And oh, yeah. uh, I've and, seen it. I've yeah. seen it. Per- I've seen it personally when I was in the military. And that's probably the reason I got out is, you know, these guys, you know, love them to death. The same thing with long coaches. They'd have like retirement ceremonies or coaches that would you know retire from a holding a strength conditioning job for 20 something years or whatever. And they'd be up there with their families and they wouldn't know what to say because they haven't been involved with their kids' lives or their wife or they retire and they're sitting there hating their wife because they're sitting there and they have nothing in common anymore. You know, your job will always be there. But I got 18 years with my daughter and legitimately I probably got 16. 
you know, she's probably not going to like him for the last two years. However that works. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure the process on that yet, but you know, my job will always be there. Strength and conditioning will always be there. There'll be something that I can do always, but you, you just, you got, you only got so much time with your kids. And if you lose track of, uh, getting way off topic here, but a coach that has been a tremendous influence to me, probably my, one of my, one of my good, really good friends and a great mentor is guys named Ken Wong. And he, we were sitting on the couch um, a couple months ago and uh, he sat there and he looked at me in my eyes and being all goofy as hell as always. And he was just like, Hey Vernon, who are you? And I just laughed at him. I was like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? And he was like, what are you? And I was like, uh, he was like, serious. No, what are you? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm a coach. And he was like, no, you're not. And I was like, okay, well, what am I? And then he kind of got me thinking. And I was like, well, I'm a father and a husband. He was like, no, you're not. What are you? And I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't know what I am. And he was like, he was like, you've lost who you are because you're so caught up in the moment. If you forget who you are. And he was like, what did you used to do before you were married? What do you like to do that's not working out, that's not sports? What do, you, what do you enjoy? Like, do you enjoy music? Do you enjoy drawing? Like, what are you? Because once you lose track of who you are, you can't get that back. And same way with a job and a career. If you get so caught up in, we're so caught up in defining ourselves. Like, anywhere you go to a conference, you know, everyone has the logo on their shirt of where they're representing, which is fantastic. Represent who's paying you. That's, I mean, that, that's what you're supposed to do. But you got to remember that there's someone behind that logo. And if you lose track of who's behind that logo, you're, you're lost forever. You can't get that back when you spent 25, 30 years being the logo. You said something about, you know, like people up at the podium, other coaches at the podium and, you know, wanting to think or say something about their family. And it's it reminds me of, I, I guess, a chapter or a paragraph in Urban Meyer's Above the Line, uh, the book that came out. And uh, I guess maybe a couple years ago where, you know, similarly, he is at the po- or his daughter is at the podium accepting an award or a banquet or something. And, you know, is thinking literally prepared a script, a speech to thank her mother, but didn't write anything in about, you know, coach because didn't anticipate his arrival there. And it's just like it puts it in such a frame of reference when, you know, like. You, you stand at a podium and you want to think and you don't know what to even say about your family because you've been so removed from your family um, yep. that that's, you know, I, I look at it with my own children and I think the last thing I want them to ever think is that I wasn't around and I wasn't, yep. you know, mentally and physically. And I think it's, oh, yeah. that's that's a challenge. But to to turn this thing a little bit, because I do think that there's some some tremendous things about understanding where we come from and why we do what we do. But I want to kind of change the perspective, the frame, to recognizing and maybe starting to dive into how are we building confidence with athletes? And I see it on your social media. I see it on Twitter that the athletes that you train at VHP look like they're enjoying themselves. They, they're proud to train. They look engaged. They are excited about the progress they make. And I'm just curious about how you as a coach, as you as a program, sort of whether it's organically, whether it's systemized, how do you build that confidence in what is otherwise young athletes that might not have that confidence? Well, I mean, for one, it's building, to me, that's everything. That's the, that's the number one thing to translate over into sport. Um, can you get an athlete jump higher on a, on a platform doing explosive movements, power movements? We can argue what's better all day. Any coach can say that their, you know, their judo or karate is better than the next guy's karate. But confidence is the number one thing that por- that portrays and goes over onto the court or the track or the field or whatever it is. And that it starts with building that initial relationship. If you don't have a mutual relationship or respect then you're never going to get to that point. And in my experience, when kids are comfortable with their coach and with their situation, they're going to respond better when it comes to the training environment. So uh, the days of, like I like to say, like the bad coach mentality or the the always yelling and the, the not relatable coach and the coach that I'm not listening to that music, we're listening to this. 
it, it shuts athletes down. Not all of them. And some, and you know, I'm not saying to be a pushover by any means, but allowing yourself to show a little bit of, you know, that for them to relate to, like a big thing I say with my interns is one of the quickest ways you can show that you're normal to your athletes is to admit you're wrong with something. Cause then they're like, Oh wow, that coach just put down his, his door. So maybe now I can say something that I feel. And the second, I'm, I'm always asking, I'm always asking, you know, probing with what's going on in their lives. You know, who are they, you know, are they dating someone? You know, are they having a good, you know, how's school going? Always finding out these little cues because as you build these relationships, and I understand in the collegiate setting, you're dealing with way more kids, you know, way more of a turnaround than I am. Every hour you got, you know, 40, 50 kids rolling in. I get that. But trying your best to just, you know, build that relationship of respect because then you can, then the confidence is just through the roof. I mean, I have young ladies that uh, I, I like to say a lot of my clients are young volleyball and softball players, and they're so confident because they were never treated the same as young men. Of course, young men go into a gym and it's throw some weight on the bar, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, let's lift. And for some reason, girls aren't treated like that. And I'm like, why? You know, why? Why can't a girl train the same as a boy? They, you know, when it comes to planes of movement, their sports are you know, the same. So they should be able to do the same things. And the second you treat a young lady with that same, you know, coaching, they respond to that because they want that. Girls want to be equal to boys and they are. They want to do the same things. One of my favorite things to do with young ladies is pull-ups. We do pull-ups every week, uh, programmed in, uh, you know, it could be different tempos or ISO or eccentric or, or, or whatever, but we always do pull-ups. And my old concept is one of my interns asked me, like, why do you do so many pull-ups? Well, not so many, but you do them so often. Besides the fact that it's a great, you know, a great movement for upper body strength, it's almost like if I was to ever deadlift 600 pounds, probably not going to, but I would never forget it. And if anyone ever deadlifted 600 pounds, I'd be like, I remember that day. But if you have a young lady that jumps up on a bar and pulls her little arms up over that and puts in, get into a full pull-up, she will never forget that. She will come off that bar and her face will glow brighter than if she was wearing any dress on prom day because she would be filled with energy and love and just this confidence beaming from her. Like, oh, my God, I did a pull-up. Girls aren't supposed to do pull-ups, and I just did one. And, it, that, and, and that translates onto court. When a, a lot of my volleyball players, you know, they're taller, so they're, you know, anteriorly rotated in. They're trying to come down to the rest of the population in their high school because they're taller, and they, you know, they lack that confidence. And then I, you know, we get into their posture, whether it's certain movements or certain things and their shoulders start resting back. You see them walking around. And I like to say, be cocky, be confident, because when you're walking around with that big chest, not only is it a healthier position for your body, but it's just it just beams. And when you're around other girls, that, that confidence is beaming. It, you want to be a part of that. So to, to me, confidence is everything. If you empower a young athlete, you know, with the strength or the ability to do some movement, whether it's physical or emotional or mental, whatever it is, then they're going to be a better athlete because that's going to translate over. Whether strength and power, we can argue specific movements, maybe not. But confidence, you cannot – like a confident kid is scary. I have 13-year-old girls that will literally, when they go to their coach and their coach asks them to do a movement and their knees buckle in, they're like, well, well – Coach Vernon said that that's not good, and then they start explaining why. Valgus knees. Well, the val my valgus, you don't want to have valgus knee because this, that, and then percentages. And their coaches are like, holy shit. Like, why would you tell them that stuff? Now they won't stop saying it. And I'm like, that's, that's amazing that a young 13-year-old girl is not afraid to speak up for herself and to empower them with science. We need more young ladies that believe in science and math. That's what we want. Just the emphasis on STEM and trying to get – more young women involved in uh, science, technology, engineering, math, all that. Um, and confidence can be scary. I think, uh, it, you know, like it's a force to be reckoned with. I see that. It's, yeah, it's threatening. I, I see that with my daughter. I feel like as a four-year-old, she's more equipped to face the world than I was when I was damn near 18. So, oh, yeah. um, and, and of course, there's some positive shaping and a lot of trying to shape her environment and her mentality for some of that of what I see as a deficit in otherwise uh, young women. But to relate back to what you said, because I very easily see that um, with our athletes, you know, and I work with a pretty much all female population here at Wichita State. So 
you know, I, I can, I could easily ask 90% of them, like, what do you remember most? Right. And it will be a, a conference championship, their first time going to maybe the NCAAs for the first trip. But it, a lot of them would also respond and do respond that the first time they've gone from a, a green jump stretch band to a purple jump stretch to doing the oh, yeah. first body weight pull up or chin up and being able to like jump off that bar and have that smile stretch ear to ear. It's a, it, it is, it's the, the equivalent of a 600 pound deadlift for a male or something like that. It's a, it's a huge lift to, uh, to their confidence and to their ability it's, of feeling comfortable. It's so, it's so underrated. Like when it comes to like, like all my, we, we, we always put chalk on our hands just because I feel like it enters that mentality of like, oh my God, I get to put chalk on my hands. Like I'm about to lift. And it's just, it starts there. And then the first time I probably noticed it when I started like realizing like, this is, this is it. Like this is a game changer. It's not, you know, whether you do a plyometric or a French contrast or this or that, it's confidence. When I realized it was a game changer, I had some volleyball girls doing jerks and a couple of them were like, oh my God, this looks crazy. Like, this is scary. There's no way I can do it. And then they, they pop their feet and that bar's locked out overhead and you just see their eyes as big as softballs. Like, holy crap, I just did that. And they're like, oh my God. And then it was every, ever since then, I've just been like, you know, this is it. And this is where it's, this sets the tone for everything. What's, what's fascinating for you and uh, what I'm interested in is because you're seeing these athletes at a younger stage than I'm seeing. So you're going to be on the front line when this sort of empowered young female youth start to enter that training age. And uh, I, I would imagine that you get to see that earlier than a lot of coaches in the collegiate system. And uh and to build on that, I'm just curious, I mean, have you started to see it? Is it, you know, are athletes coming already a little bit more prepared with the idea? Because I do think that we've we've shifted sort of what is societal and cultural sort of viewpoints that now it's, you know, I, I think women are supposed to be strong. They're supposed to feel empowered. Are you seeing that? transfer over to your facility uh earlier or if if you haven't why do you think it hasn't i still think there's always going to be a situation i guess not a situation but the other day one of my girls was flexing her bicep in the mirror and she was like oh my god vernon oh my god oh my god and i was like that is freaking awesome and she was like no like no it's not it's it's gross and i like stopped the whole weight room and i was like everyone look at her and, I, and she was like, I don't want to do it. And I was like, flex your muscle. And she did. And it was a room full of, you know, older military guys training. And they were like, everyone was like busting out cheering for her. And she was like, is it that cool? And I'm like, hell yeah, it's that cool. Like it's, it's, there's, there's still going to be that stigma, of course, about women being stronger and, and lifting weights and having muscles. But I do think it's, it's getting slimmer. Yeah. And that starts with, telling them that it's cool like lifting weights is awesome being strong is is awesome like having i i say to my girls if, if you ever if a boy ever tries to hold your hand and you have more calluses than him run away he's <laughs> he's he's not he's not he's not worth it like you know be be intimidating be confident because if you're that person that's strong and confident you're going to have a happier life because you're not going to have people that are around you because they're going to be intimidated that they don't want to win. Like people, the only people that want to win are going to surround you because they're going to feel that confidence. And, you know, any situation you're in, if, if you're surrounded, if you're in a group of winners, you know, some person that that's not a priority to them is probably not going to come into that group. You're not going to have to worry about, and I say this to young girls all the time, if you're confident, you're not going to have to worry about some burnout boy coming up to you because yeah. he's going to be intimidated that you're successful, that you want to succeed, that you want to be influential, that you want to own a business or be a doctor, like that's scary. To some people, that's scary. And no different than people nowadays, they'll say something like a lot of the older coaches that, that I still hear, I mean, you're going to hear this no matter what to the end of time, but you know, I make more money than my wife or I wear the pants or this or that. Hell, I don't, I could care less. I want my wife to be this freaking powerhouse. Like that's amazing. I want her to do that. I, and it's, it, that shift, I think, is coming. But it's, I mean, it's no different than anything else. It, it'll take time. And, 
there'll be certain situations where it'll be more or less. But for the most part, the young ladies that come through VHP, uh, all my girls are, I mean, they're, they're as, as confident as they come. Some, some, some people would say even a little bit too confident, but I like it. I like that edge. Yeah, I think that that edge is good, certainly. And, you know, it's one thing, too, I know we talked about being a parent and being a coach, but especially being a parent of a daughter, I think it really, it grounds you as a coach because, I mean, you hear, as you just shared, I mean, people having the ability of saying that, you know, I make more, I do this or I do that. But like, as you as a father getting on the same level as a daughter, would you want to say that to your own daughter? And like, I want my daughter to make hundred times more than what I make. And I'm going oh, to be, course. you know, like I'm expecting that. I hope that I wish that for her. And uh, yep. I wish that for every athlete, every female athlete that I work for and work with. So um, I, I definitely think that you, you do empowerment and you do confidence building um, in, in some of the best that I've seen as well. It, it also comes to allowing kids to express themselves. Like when it comes to like a weight room setting, like uh, when I when I grew up, when I played sports, it was you know not the bad cop bad coach mentality, but it was like the be quiet thing. So and I, just kind of thinking about how coaching works is uh, I was at a volleyball game one day, volleyball match for one of my girls, and their coach was like, "All right, cheer, cheer, you know, cheer each other on, cheer each other on." But then I would see a practice, and they would like lock it up, you know, whatever. And, I'm just, and I started, and I was just like, "Wait a second, where did we miss the boat?" That uh, we want kids to be quiet in practice, but then we want them to be vocal in a game. So in the weight room, it's I'm not the coach that's, that shuts them down because I want them to be confident. I want them to be vocal, respectful at the same time, because that translates into confidence and vocalness on the court. So it's almost like the cell phone mentality is we want kids to get off their cell phones and they probably put their cell phones down for an hour or two a day at practice and then we want them to not communicate. You know, we just got rid of the, the problem, and then we're not letting them communicate, which is also the problem. So it's yeah. it, it's that shift of mentality, which which brings that confidence about because they're vocal, they're talking. That's what we want. We don't want kids closed off in their phones. We take away the phones, and then we still tell them to be quiet and then be vocal in the games. So it, it also it also falls on the coach as well. I mean, I'm no different when I'm at my daughter's softball games, and the coaches are like, cheer in the dugout. But then in practice, they're like, all right, guys, Everyone be quiet, pay attention, or be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. I'm like, wait, you can't tell them to be quiet for just seven hours during the week, and then on that one day on the weekend for two hours, you're like, all right, guys, everything I said, do the opposite. Cheer each other on. <laughs> it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, the incongruency on that, for sure, it can be confusing, and then just uh, to, it clouds the clarity of the message from a coach, for sure. I, I, I want to turn this around a little bit and put the – put you in the uh, spotlight a little bit and kind of ask you some questions here about how you prepare every day. But uh, with that and, and thinking about your own personal experiences and we all go to a job, we all go to uh, something that we're passionate about, but how, how do you prepare to go in every single day and change young athletes' lives? Uh, I mean... Like, what do you mean? Like my process, my thought process? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's dive down into maybe the first sort of 90 minutes of your day or maybe the drive-in or kind of how you get yourself situationally prepared for the first session of the day. Not that not the X's and O's of what we're setting up, but how does you as a coach mentally shift yourself into that process to uh, deliver what is otherwise an outstanding session for your athletes? Well, it, I mean, it all starts with being prepared for one. If you're not prepared, your kids are going to know. Like kids are the most honest people. They're more honest than any adult you'll ever meet. If you're unprepared, they're going to call you on it. And it's, it's, it's about being prepared for one. And for two, I mean, my thing, I guess, would probably be music. Like music gets me going. It puts me in a mood when I'm driving in. Play some mu- I play music that I, that I, makes me happy when I get into work. If, if I don't have clients right away, I listen to music. But that that gets me going, gets my energy going. And I, I'm pretty lucky with whatever hormonal balance I have in my body that when I need to turn my energy on, I can. Yeah. And I, I'm a very high-energy person. 
but uh, I always I always bring it. There's never a day, unless I'm sick or something. I mean, the things come up. Life happens. Yeah. But my kids will ask me like, "Hey, coach, what's going on?" I'm like, "Man, I've had a, it's been a crappy day," and they're just like, "Got it." But bring us the energy, and I'm just like, "All right, turn me up, coach." And I'm like, "Okay," but it's it's the volume of life. It's not just volume of you know music or decibel level, but that volume of energy just radiating it. Uh, I mean, it comes with, I guess, rhythm in the morning, uh, having a set thing that you eat for breakfast every day. I drink the same. I've been on this little hippie tea thing that I've been drinking lately, which I freaking love. But uh, the same routine every day when there's change, of course, that kind of throws your day off a little bit. But to me, it's my same routine every day. And that sets me up for success. Vernon, is there anything that still makes you nervous as a coach or as a shoot? I mean, as a father, as a husband, but maybe specifically as a coach, what what scares you? What what makes you nervous? I mean, I am not this. I guess I can portray this sense of confidence when I'm in a weight room or something like that. But I am I am nervous anytime I meet new kids. I'm nervous anytime I'm you know, doing something new whenever I go to a new place, when I'm meeting new coaches, I mean, for this damn podcast, I was nervous as hell. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm always nervous, but I feel like there's something about that. When you care about something so much, you should get nervous. I mean, that's your body's sympathetic response to something. And so, I, I mean, I get nervous about when I write a program and I'm like, all right, well, we're, we're, you know, a couple weeks out or this, you know, sort now I'm going to try something new. I'm going to, I want to try, you know, instead of focusing so much on squats this time, I'm going to focus a lot on trap bar deadlift from a pad from its similar, you know, jumps position when it comes to volleyball players. And I'm nervous because, you know, these girls are counting on me to give, to make them succeed. And I'm trying to, it, it's not, it's strength and conditioning is this constant evol- evolution and amoeba of training I feel like when you get locked into one training plan all the time, not only do kids adapt, but they don't respond the same way. So I'm constantly trying to push the envelope. So I'm always nervous to, you know, how is this going to turn out? Am I going to get the same response? Are the kids going to enjoy it? Uh, if they don't enjoy it, then they're not going to you – know, that next training session, they're going to be like, oh, God, here we go. Now it's time to work out again. But I'm, I'm, I'm always nervous because I'm always trying to push that boundary and the second you get comfortable, I mean, that's when you get past. I'm, I always, whatever that quote is or saying about being uncomfortable, I'm always trying to do that. I'm always trying to put myself in a, a new position. That's why I agreed to come on, you know, to do this with you. It, you know, did I know what I'm going to say? Am I going to sound as smart and as amazing as some of the other coaches you probably brought up here? Probably not. But it, it's, it's making me step out of my comfort boundary which is making me, you know, that nervous response is bringing it back a little bit. But I'm always going to be nervous. I'm always going to have an upset stomach, butterflies. I'm always going to be standing there not figuring out what to do, what the hell I'm going to do with my hands when I'm talking in front of people. But that's just me. You know, I think two, twofold. Number one, you're phenomenal. So I think you, we're always our hardest critics uh, on ourselves. And I think that's a hallmark of, you know, the, the people I've interviewed uh, is a characteristic of success is that they are the their hardest and most toughest critic, but twofold in the same a- aspects of what we do with our athletes here is that there's a level and there's a need for fear inoculation. There's a we we have to get them used to understanding and feeling what it's like to be scared and what it's like to have fear, and then to be equipped with the mental tool sets and the skill sets to be able to handle that fear and thrive yeah. in it, not just survive through it. Yeah, so, it's healthy. It's healthy to be scared. It wouldn't be a, a you know a biological response if uh, if we weren't meant to have it. So yep. um, that's that's awesome, man. Uh, how, I, I look at what you're doing. I look at you as an, an excellent coach. And with this Decoding Excellence show, it is really trying to find the intangibles and the stories that go into making people, things, programs, systems, whatever it might be, excellent. And I, there is, you know, there's a a Webster's definition of excellence, right? That's easy. But I would love for you to define what you think it means to be excellent or successful or rememberable or to leave a legacy. What does that, 
when I say those words, what does that mean to you? And, and how do you define that? And what does that sort of uh, evoke from a feeling inside you? I guess as a coach, you would, you would say it as kind of how you just said, like leaving like that legacy, that, that footprint, that, that impact on someone's life. I joke with my, I joke with my wife all the time and I'm just like, man, in you know, five or 10 years, I'm gonna have a whole lot of weddings to go to. <laughs> and, and, and to me, that's, that's, I guess that would be my, my legacy. I mean, to be honest, most, especially young athletes, you're not going to go play, play professional sports. You're going to go on to be, you know, a business owner, a doctor, a, you know, an architect, an engineer, but being that person that hopefully one day they're in the same position and they're like, man, that coach Vernon, he, he was the man. And, uh, I like to say that we're not just coaching young athletes. We're coaching the next coach or the next dad or the next mom or the next mentor. That's what we are because kids are what they're raised to be. Kids don't learn. Kids don't grow up hating people. They grow up. That's what they're taught to do. So if you teach a kid that, you know, they can do endless things, then that's all they're going to know is all I know is success. All I know is all I know is winning. I don't know failure. All I know is learning and growing. And that would be my legacy is just having all these kids that, you know, one day I would never, I don't ever want to, I'm not the coach that wants a pat on the back. I don't want an award. I don't want, I don't want any of that. But for one day, one of my kids to maybe be like, you know, I learned how to be a good coach on some futuristic podcast when we're living in outer space or something. And they say, you know, I learned this from my coach. I guess that that would be my legacy. Having that 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 that's what matters to me is being able to impact as many kids as possible. I don't that that's success. Yeah. Is having a, a room, a closet I joke with kids. I guess uh, here we go. A good thing I always say is is I want my wardrobe to cons- only be consist of shirts from colleges my kids went to. That's, that's awesome. That's that's what I want as a coach, and I say and I, I can't I can't believe I forgot that, but that's that's perfect. That's what I want. I want every day I put on. I'm wearing a, a UVAY softball shirt right now. That's that's what I want. I want every day to wear a shirt of a kid that got to further their education and better their life, and me to be a minuscule part of it. Was I the reason? Hell no. Do I want to be the reason? No. But to be that small part to the point where they send me a T-shirt and say, "Thanks, Coach," that that's that's what I want. That's to me. That's why I do what I do. And I think that lends itself to a greater purpose than what is otherwise maybe the the singular first purpose a lot of people get into this profession uh, about, which is maybe I, I'm interested in strength conditioning. I want to continue to be fit. I'm gonna. I like lifting, so I'm gonna teach other people lifting, and then it manifests. It changes to, I want to win national championships. I want to be a part of pushing a team to uh, final four, and then it ultimately comes down to like, as you go through your own maturation process, it's not about you. It's all about the athlete, and it's all oh, about yeah. empowering them and setting them up for how they define success and and leaving a legacy of sort of empowerment and uh and confidence and a greater ability for them to go on to a, for the rest of their life doing whatever it is they might want to do whether that's preparing and equipping them for better sport or preparing them to have the mental and the physical tool sets of navigating what is otherwise life which is hard sometimes so no i think you're uh and that's the reason one of the reasons i wanted to have you on the show because i i find this similarity between high-level coaches like yourself and other high-level practitioners in all different demands and disciplines, whether it's coaching or education or cooking or art or whatever it is, that it's, it is ultimately not about them. It's about the person receiving whatever it is, the craft that they do. So I, I cannot thank you enough for that. I want to wrap this up with a couple different things here. What would be, now I, I've stolen your time from you and I I asked you to kind of come on and I I thank you for doing so but you know it's been a sort of an us sort of sharing our collective experiences and and backgrounds but 
if we could turn this around and say, what is one thing the audience could do at, at, from a request from your standpoint? What would you ask of them to do? Whether it's personally, in their own profession, in their own discipline, in their own coaching, what would be that request that you make of an audience or a person listening to this podcast? Um, well, for, for one, I, I, I always think about it. You didn't steal my time. It's hopefully it's invested time. Hopefully someone yeah. listens to this conversation, yeah. conversation, and so, hopefully someone takes take something from my ramblings, which some people do. And I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I, it would be listen, like actively listen, like care what's going on. People overlook what, what, what's the the best component for a coach or best whatever, and you hear leadership or you hear experience. Or you hear uh, well, endless traits, and I'm like, or you just give a crap. Like if if you just honestly care, like you would be so astounded by the results that you would get. Like if if you really immerse yourself and you really love what you do to the point where everyone brags about how much they love what they do, and you honestly care, like it's it's amazing. Like if you care and you spend time and you really give something. What the hundred and ten percent, whatever it is, and you honestly put forth that effort, and you listen to people, and you ask your athletes, you know, what do you think? I always ask my athletes, like, hey, is there something you want to do? Not that I care, and we're going to do it, but hey, what is your mindset at? Like, what where do you think you should be at? Making them a part of the decision. You know, when you're talking to your kids, when they tell you about their school day, are you just driving, listening to the radio, you know, a little bit more than listening to them, or do you turn the radio off and you? actively listen are you if you a part of the moment do you really care it's so overlooked but if caring i mean it's it's so important and it's it's not flashy it's not cool i'm not going to put anything on twitter about it. it's probably not going to get any responses but if you honestly just care about what you do and care about your athletes it's it not just athletes your your family your parents your your wife if you care and put forth that effort that extra effort and go that extra mile it's never crowded there and people love that coach i can't thank you enough for like you said investing your time and giving back to our community our industry and sharing your experiences and your wisdom and kind of the things that's made you successful and the things that that scare us and the things that you know you've found to be personally rewarding you can uh just so everybody knows um you can find coach uh griffith at uh, on twitter certainly at vernon griffith four um do you have any other social media or anything if, if somebody wanted to reach out there's something in this that resonated and a young coach or old coach or whomever says you know what i need to i need to call you i want to get you on the phone um, or I'm passing through Virginia and I want to kind of sit down or buy you coffee or whatever, pick your brain, where can the audience meet, find you? What's the best way for them to reach you, et cetera? Uh, you can send me a message on Twitter. My same, I have the same handle for Instagram. Uh, my email is vernon at virginiahp.com. I mean, if you send me a message, I mean, I'm going to respond. Uh, I, I love it when coaches respond to me. Nothing makes me more upset than when I do finally reach out to a coach because it takes a lot of humbleness to reach out and they don't respond. If someone reaches out, I'm, I'm going to respond and help out any way I can. So if you need to get a hold of me, uh, social media, email, I give you my phone number, we can talk. I'm, I'm up for anything. I'm always down to learn and steal someone else's ideas. Perfect. Yeah. And same, same goes obviously with this show and, and everything here. Coach, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your morning and, uh, and coming on the Decoding Excellence show. I look forward to reaching back out uh, to you and, and connecting and, and hope we can continue to have this conversation uh, that lasts much longer than just an hour. So Coach Vernon, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for having me on, Adam. Uh, look forward to talking soon. Hopefully one day we can meet and, uh, you know, I can steal some more of your ideas. Perfect. Well, thanks, Coach. Uh, until next time, we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. I want to thank Coach Vernon Griffith for coming on the Decoding Excellence show and sharing his wisdom and time with all of us. 
Uh, I took a lot away from this conversation. The tips and materials that he shared regarding the balance between work, life, uh, the empowerment, and the confidence building in young athletes, I think, is incredible and something that we all should continue to strive to do. And I think that Coach Vernon's journey into strength and conditioning, his why, his personal manifesto, if you will, for the reasons that he got into strength and conditioning is an honest look and a, uh, a humble one in which uh, we should all continue to strive for. I appreciate Coach Vernon Griffith's time. And hopefully, if you've taken anything away from this show, please share this show on your social media of choice, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Please continue to go on to iTunes. Please give us a five-star rating. That only helps us get a little bit more exposure so that we can continue to impact young coaches' lives. The journey into this show originated from wanting to scratch my own itch, which is to better understand the components, the intangibles, the tools, the tactics, the techniques that go into what makes a coach excellent. It's a continuous pursuit of mastery and a better understanding of what it takes to become and to continue to evolve into a tremendous and excellent coach. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Decoding Excellence Show.